Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know. Everything I need, you've got. There's honey in the rock. Praying for a miracle, thirsty for a living well. Only you can satisfy. Keep praising, you keep proving I 
Could not hold you. The veil tore. 
kicked off the DNA series January 1st, right? This series is meant to remind us who we are as a church, what we're about as a church. Every person is made uniquely with unique DNA, and it's true for every church as well. We have a unique church body. Some of you are just weird, right? (laughs) Praise God. That's right, right? So who is the Willard Naz? What are we about? We, week one, we said we need to be the branch, right? It speaks to our position. We failed at being the vine that God called us to. And so Christ came and said, I am the vine. I am the true vine, right? And everything must flow out of that connection, out of our relationship with Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing, Right? That means that we should be, if we are connected to him, producing fruit. We have to be the branch. Week two, we talked, we went from position to posture. We said that we have to be people that bow low in worship and empty the jar completely. People who pour it all out, who leave nothing left. And last week we moved into purpose and we said we need to be people that do whatever it takes be people that wrecked the roof in order to get people to Jesus. I've tried to give you some little sayings, mantras, so that you can say those things over to yourselves to remind yourself of who we are. Be the branch, right? Empty the jar. Wreck the roof. And and today, we're going to continue on with purpose. And, And today's message is we are messengers. We have to remember that. We're not talking about the band. We are messengers, and I want you to be reminded of that. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, would you stand in honor of God's word? Do you, do you truly believe this is God's word? Yes. Then follow it. Be obedient to it. Be in it, right? Let it speak to you. Let it guide you. Let it be a light unto your path, right? Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, And something two by two, it's important to go with somebody, right? You don't have to do it alone, teens. Grab a buddy. I know it scares people to do things when Christ calls us to. Grab somebody. Take them with you, right? Sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That still remains today. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, though, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you 
out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If somebody who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you all. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were formed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the, at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. Father, we pray that you would speak to us mightily through your word. Open our eyes, open our ears so that we can hear and see what you have to say to us. Soften our hearts so that we can accept it and apply it. Father, let nothing come out of my mouth that isn't according to your will. Father, we want to hear from you. Lord, we give you right of way. Have your way with us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Looking at the life of Jesus in the, in the gospel of Luke, you'll notice there's a shift around chapter 9. The first eight chapters of Luke are really concerned with, who is this Jesus? In chapter 9, that, that theme switches that, if this man, if this is the Son of God, then how should we live? And the answer to that is, we should be disciples. Every one of us who calls Jesus Christ our Lord. We are his disciples. We are his followers. Starting in chapter 10, Jesus spells it out, what it means to be a disciple of his. The first answer to that question is that we are to be messengers. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're given a message to publicly communicate and urge everyone to believe. We like to use the excuse or we like to say, well, I'm going to live out my testimony by my example and how I live. That's great. But you also are called to publicly bring a message, to speak it with your lips to the people that you come into contact with. Our, our culture hates this idea, and we'll talk about this a, a little bit more, but I want to give you the outline to what we're going to be talking about today. In this passage, you will see that there is a mission, there is a message 
And there is a motivation that we need to see. Number one, mission. For we were once friends, but now our family on a great mission. Right? That's, that's our motto as this church, what we want to be about. Verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and, underline this, sent, sent them two by two ahead of him, ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. Verse 3, go, I am, underline this, sending you. Right? Now, in chapter 9, right before this, Jesus gathers the 12, the future leaders of the church, the apostles, right? Uh, these are his close inner group, and he sends them out. He sends them out to priests, to preach, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. Those are the same three things, three things that Jesus does, right? Preach, bring the truth, cast out demons, free people from bondage, and heal the sick, mend bodies and relationships. That's what he did, and that's what he sends out the 12 to do. And he gives them the authority and the power to do just that, right? If chapter 9 was it and all that we had, we can then sit back and say, that's right, right? Uh, that is what the leaders, that is what the pastors, that is what the elders in the church are to do. And we could all just sit back and relax and say, I'm glad they're doing it. That's their job, Right? But in chapter 10, Jesus gets 72 together, moves beyond the apostles to the followers, to his disciples, right? 72 of them. What's, what's with the number 72? Ancient readers would recognize this number. that It, it comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And when you read Genesis 10, you had this table of nations. And guess how many nations there were at this table? 72, right? This is Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm not just sending the apostles out. I'm sending my disciples out, my, my followers out to the nations. I'm sending you. We've got to get that. The, the word send in Latin is the word missio or mission, right? Everyone that follows Jesus Christ, everyone that follows Jesus Christ is called to the mission of being sent, called to reach the nations, called to reach their world, their boat, right? Your workplace, your group, your niche. Whoever that is, you're called to that. And God calls us into a relationship. And in that relationship, he blesses us by his presence. And he calls us to take that to the world to take that to the people around us. He sends us out so that we can bless others. You see this theme repeated throughout the Bible, right? He tells us, hey, don't focus on yourself. Focus on the needs of others. We did a sermon series called Others, right? And we looked at all the verses that said, care for one another, right? He calls us to go out and to focus in on other people. We see this in stories in the Bible. It's when God reveals himself to Moses, in a burning bush, he immediately, after he reveals himself, what? He sends him out with a message. Go and tell Pharaoh, hey, you know, to let my people go. What's Moses' response? He's got like five excuses why he's not the right person to do that. Hey, listen, I, I, who am I? 
Who am I? I'm just a shepherd on the run because I killed somebody and been in hiding for 40 years. And you want me to go to the leader of the world, the, the leader of the most important uh, nation at that time and tell him to let a million people go? You know, how's that work going to work out? It, Lord, I'm not the right person. I, I can't even speak well. I stutter, right? I, I have problems speaking to people. And he gives all these excuses. Lord, send somebody else. It's exactly what we do too, right? When God tells us, go talk to that person, go share the good news, the gospel with them. Uh, Lord, there's got to be somebody else. There's got to be a better time than right now. Send somebody else. Isaiah, God's like, let me heal the sin on your lips, right? Let me get rid of your guilt. Why? Because I've got a message for you to preach. Relationship leads to being sent. We're called to go. We're called to bring this message. Over and over again, you see in the Bible this. God reveals himself to people, calls them into relationship, and then sends them out with a message calls you into intimacy, into blessing, but never to stay there. It's always to go out, to live out radically, to live for others. We don't always do this, though. Oftentimes, we focus in on ourselves more than others, right? Think about this. Before Christ, before, before Christ, you had to be your own Savior, right? You're trying to figure that out. What, what's the meaning of my life? You're always fighting against your demons, that you were dealing with, your sense of inadequacy, your significance, right? It was understandable at that time that you'd be focused in on yourself. You had to be, right? You could be self-absorbed, but not now. You know Christ. He's taken care of all those things. He saved you. He set you free. He's bought you with a price. He's taken away your shame. He's taken away your guilt. You don't have to be focused in on yourself for any of those things. We can't remain self-absorbed. We can't remain focused in ourselves. We've been set free. And so we're called to go out and share that with other people. He did it all for us. He says, go live for others. No longer for yourself. This is where it gets exciting, my friends. We've been talking about this more and more. But Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, teens, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Do you believe that? Or are you thinking what you hate about yourself? what you don't like about yourself, what you wish and pray that God would change. No, you are God's workmanship, right? And he's got a job for you. He's, he's set you up. He's built you, right, to do certain good works. It's not that you're just sent out with a general mission. There is that, right? No, you're sent out, and there are particular things for you to do. You. Every one of you who calls Jesus Christ Lord, there are particular things that before the world existed, he created you and fashioned you and thought about this and prepared in advance for you to do. And we're missing out on it. And we're missing out on experiencing him. 
You've been specifically made with a unique makeup. My friends, unique experiences, the things that you may hate, right? Maybe growing up with an alcoholic father, not having a relationship with him. You know what that's like. You know the hurt that comes from that. And so maybe you're going to be positioned in somebody's life who doesn't have a father, who's going through those same things. And you can tell them, ah, you might not have an earthly father, but you have a heavenly father that loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And you can testify to what that relationship looks like. Your hurts, your sorrows, some of you are experiencing sorrow and grief. But that's moved you to help other people with those same experiences. Everything goes into it. He's prepared you to do things. There are only some hands. There are some hands that only you can hold, right? There are some people that only you can reach. There are some needs that only you can meet. I can't go into the schools and meet your friends. But you can. A girl doing cocaine? Kids cutting themselves? Teens, you're positioned. You're positioned to meet needs, to share the good news. You're positioned to make a difference if you aren't too busy, if you aren't too focused on your own comfort. My friends, there's some demons that only you can drive out. This, this flies against our reigning worldview of culture today, right? Our world, right? Uh, the world tells you that, hey, all biological life is just an accident. You're, you're just here by accident. There is nothing behind you. There is nothing special about you. It's just survival of the fittest, right? You're here for no reason, for no purpose. No wonder if kids are cutting themselves. No wonder kids are depressed, no wonder why they have no reason for living. No wonder why they're taking their lives. That's the message they're, they're given. But God's truth says something far different. For God's workmanship, there's a purpose beyond your life in Christ Jesus. Be the branch, right, with a reason and a purpose for your existence. I'm sending you Go. I have things prepared for you to do. Man, I hope your prayer is where, when, how, what am I supposed to do? Teens, I hope that's your prayer. Give me somebody at my school that I can reach out and help. To the kid that's being bullied, I'll go sit with him. I'll go stand by him, right? Mission. Everybody knows. We must understand that Hey, there's a mission if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only a mission, but a message. Jesus sends them out and says uh, at the last half of verse 8, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. A little bit later on, he says, if they won't listen, be sure, tell them this, be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. And down in verse 16, he says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. My friends, we are messengers. Every one of us given a message that we are to publicly communicate to others and urge them to believe. That's the call. 
Of course the world hates this. They say, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but don't push that on me. Don't shove it down my throat, right? Don't try and convert people. Just keep it to yourself. And even now in in our day and age, it's not even okay for you to believe in Jesus. But don't share it, right, with other people. You can have your truth, but I'm going to have my truth. But the Bible tells us that Jesus sends us out to communicate the gospel. What's the word gospel mean? Typically, we say good news. I've said that already a few times today. But it's far more than that. There's a deeper meaning to that, right? Uh, When this word was chosen by the early church leaders to express the, the message that we are to take out, it had a very specific meaning, all right? A gospel was news of a history changing event that changed everyone's situation. It was something that everyone had to respond to. That's what the gospel really means back in this time period. For instance, we have this example, and it goes like this. Uh, This is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. You'll find this in writing, this word gospel used. It was the declaration that he had ascended to the throne and what that meant, right? And it was sent out. The heralds took this message out to the extents of the empire. The gospel of Caesar Augustus went everywhere. Again, the gospel, it's, a, it's an announcement. It's major news, right? History-changing news that affects everyone and calls everyone to have a response to it. The most famous example of this is in AD 490, the Battle of Marathon. The Persians were invading Greece, and the Athenian army went out to stop them, to battle them, right? Uh, in the plains of Marathon. Everyone expected the Persians to win. And and the people in Athens knew that as soon as the Persians broke through that Athenian line, right, they were done for. It was over. And they were all in panic mode. They, They knew it was coming. To everybody's surprise, though, the Greeks won. You know the story, right? And as soon as they won, they realized, hey, we need to communicate the gospel. They realized that unless they got word back, there might be who knows what, large-scale panic, looting, rioting, who knows what would happen, so they sent a runner. It was critical. It was critical that they communicated the gospel. An, incredibly, an incredible history-changing event right, that happened that changed everyone's situation and had to be responded to. So they sent a single runner back all the way from Mar- Marathon to Athens, You know how long that is because we run our modern-day marathons based on that distance, right? But he ran all the way back, and the story is that as soon as he got into the city, he was only able to give one short message, and that message was, rejoice, we've triumphed, and then he fell over dead. They thought they were doomed. They were preparing, right, for it, but when they got word of it, everything changed. We say the gospel means good news, but you see, it's far more than that. Far more important than that. It's life-changing news that changes everyone on earth's situation. That's why we're called to carry this message to the ends of the earth, right? And it calls for a response. When Jesus says, go proclaim the gospel to everyone in creation, do do you see the enormity? Do you see what he's really saying? About this news, the kingdom of God has come near. 
What's he claiming? You get a hint in verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When he, says, when he says that, he's claiming that he was there before the foundations of this world. He saw it, right? He's claiming to be the uncreated person, the triune God. It's huge. And when I came to this earth, the kingdom of God drew near. That's huge. My friends, his birth is the gospel. His death, his resurrection is the gospel, right? A life-changing event that changes everyone's situation. And everyone is called to respond to it. We have to take this message to the ends of the earth. It has to be in our DNA as a church. Man, I'm praying that God calls somebody to the mission field overseas. But I'm praying even more that God calls us to the mission field right here. In our workplaces. In our families. In our groups. We have to tell people what's happened. And we have to tell them, hey, you have to respond to this. I know it's not popular with the world. But we have to tell people that. Listen, your response is your choice. I'll love you either way, right? When I tell people, your response is your choice, it's okay. I'll love you, right? But I hope you choose Christ. I hope you get this. Our culture will tell you it's, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but don't try and convert people. Keep it to yourself. No. I have the life-changing gospel, Right? It's changed my life. It's flipped my life upside down. i got to tell everyone about it. I can't keep it hidden. If I did, I wouldn't be a loving person. Right? It'd be like us having to cure for cancer. Life-changing news and not sharing it with those around us. That would be the most wicked thing to do right is that you if you're not willing to share the good news Lord forgive us we cannot refuse to be messengers we cannot refuse to share the gospel we can't, we can't keep this life changing history altering news to ourselves it's too big it's too amazing whether they accept it who cares? i got to share it. I mean, I care. Because I don't want people to come to know Christ. That was a wrong thing to say. But what their response and, and my ego is, I can't let that go, man. I've crashed and burned many times sharing it with my friends. But I'm going to keep sharing it in hopes that somebody does accept it. Somebody's life is changed. All right. I know some of you are really scared with this. You want to, but like Moses, right, who am I? I'm not a good speaker. I don't have the words to say, right? Send somebody else. But my friends, you are God's workmanship. He created you to reach these people. Listen, if you try to do it on your own, in your own strength, in your own wisdom, of course you're going to fail. It's God's job. God tells us that he draws people near. We don't have to convince people. That's the Holy Spirit. 
doing that. We just have to be faithful to what God calls us to do. You don't have to force it, right? You just got to look at where is God working in somebody's life? Maybe a person comes up to you and says, man, you know, uh, here dear Christian, right? I'm just kind of struggling with it. So there's my opportunity, right? Drop whatever you're doing and go with it. Just look for those moments. Just look for those moments to reach out to people and help them. Look for, look for the brokenness of humanity. Just be there with them. And tell them why you're there. Because Christ changed my life. And I care about you. I don't even know you, but I care about you. And I know he does as well. Right? All right. We have the mission. We're all sent. We have the message, the gospel, life-changing news that calls for a response. But we have to watch out for the motivation. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus responds, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you realize who I am? Of course the spirits submit to you, right? Verse 20, do not rejoice, though, that the spirits submit to you. No, that's the wrong motivation. I don't, I don't want that to be the joy that drives your ministry, right? Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is showing us there's a right and a wrong motivation for ministry right there, wrong, right? Wrong. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. What's wrong with that? What's not to be excited about that, right? They laid hands on people, and people were freed from bondage. Isn't that good? Isn't that exciting, right? What's wrong with that? Nothing, really. But notice, that's not what got them excited. They, they didn't come back and say, hey, Jesus, we're excited because people were set free. We're excited because marriages were restored. We're excited because people were healed, right? Husbands and wives are back together. They didn't find their joy in that. No, they found their joy in, wow, Lord, aren't we really something? Even the demons submit to us. Got to be careful. Wrong motivation. No, rejoice that your names are written in the book, in the, written in heaven. What does it mean to have your names written in heaven? You see, back then in every town there was a roll. There was like a, um, a census, but only citizens had their names written in that roll for that town. This was a small minority of people who actually lived there. These were the, the someones of the town, the, the nobles, the people that were important, right? If you were a servant or a worker or a low person, you didn't have your name written in that roll. They weren't written down. And Jesus doesn't want them to get a sense of self or to think highly about what they do or that demons submit to them, right, or, or they're important because this is happening. He wants them to get a sense of self from their names are written in heaven. Rejoice in that. Not gifts, not power, right? Not in accomplishment, not performance. No, that leads to pride, which is what? Why Satan fell. He saw him fall. No, rejoice that you are a citizen of heaven, a child of God. So listen, when you, when you go out and minister people and, and you try to tell them the truth, but in your heart you just really want people to look at you and, 
and give you glory and think about how great you are and what comes from your ministry, right? How many people come to your ministry? You're doing it wrong. Focus on the wrong thing. People who rejoice in their ministry, look at all the things I'm doing. Those are the people that... um, mm, Those are the people who find worth in that. That means if your ministry is big, you're happy. If you got a lot of people following you, you're happy, right? Feels good, but when people reject you, uh, when people don't come, when you just got a small group, right, you're depressed. So what ends up happening, you, you start to manipulate people. You try to think of, how, how can I get these people to, to follow me? You try to coerce people into following Jesus. You become a people pleaser. You give them the message that they want to hear instead of what God calls you to give to them, hoping that they'll come. If somebody rejects you, right, they threaten your self-worth, and you'll get mad at them. They rejected me. And then when that happens, right, you'll be the type of person that says, Lord, Shall we call down fire from heaven on them? Remember when the disciples did that? If you base your self-worth on performance, on, on people's responses, you'll begin to hate people. You'll be mad at people. You'll look for their faults, and you always look for ways to put them down. Hey, but Jesus says, if they reject you, they reject me. Right? It's not about you, right? It's about me. Be careful in ministry. Be careful if you're the head of something or you're involved in something, right? If you're leading a small group. If performance and self is, is your source of self-worth, people become trophies. Numbers become idols. Man, I've struggled with that. You won't really be concerned with changed lives. You won't be concerned with other people's names being written in heaven. It'll be all about you. Ancient people believed that when you died and faced judgment, like books would be open there, and there would be books that detailed everything that you had ever done in your life. If your good deeds outweighed your bad deeds, then you were good to go, right? Your name would be written in the book of life, or you could come to heaven and experience that. If they didn't, though, you'd be blotted out. The gospel declares that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, right? And confess him as Lord, your name's written in the book of life. Your name's written in heaven. Written, past tense, past tense, right? How in the world can that be? My life's not over. What if I go downhill? What if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds? Man, I got got to see if I can get my life cleaned up in order to get in there. No, your name's written, right? That's what the gospel is so amazing. We don't rejoice in what we do. We rejoice in who we are in Christ, period. The gospel is that you are in Christ. You're, You're already written in. You're already accepted. And when you really get that, you can find freedom. You can reject that. You can come to a place where you reject that. But nothing can take it away from you besides you. Freedom from having to earn. Freedom from having to be 
good enough. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me. Can you just close your eyes for a minute? Can you hear Jesus saying this? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? You can open your eyes. When when Moses saw God's anger at the people of Israel in chapter 32 of Exodus, he said in verse 31, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead these people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. Moses knows that God is a God of justice, right? He is a just God. And that people's names should be blotted out of the book. But Moses loves them. Do you see this? And he doesn't want them. He cares about them. He wants them to be saved. And so he says, hey, blot me out of that book. God says, well, it's true. I I can't overlook this. I will blot their name out of the book, but go ahead and lead them. I'm going to continue to to guide them. Why? It's kind of weird. The answer is because the ultimate Moses is coming. And he's the one whose name is going to be blotted out of the book. He is the one who says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And because his name, was blotted out, right? My name can be written in heaven. Amen? This is the secret to motivation for ministry, right? My name is there. I don't have to earn it. It doesn't matter how many people follow. It's all grace. I just got to be faithful to what he calls me to do. It can bring us courage right? It can't be taken away from you. Like I said, you can choose to reject it, but it can't be taken away. Everyone can reject you, but you'll still have your name written in heaven. You can still rejoice in that. He can even send you as lambs amongst wolves, but nothing can take away the joy of knowing that your name is written in heaven. Nothing it's my home. Stand with me. A final warning. If, if you rejoice in anything but this, anything but God's grace, right, hear me, it will leave you one day. You can rejoice in being a father and watching your Your kids play basketball and twirl and find a lot of joy in that. But one day those kids will move out. You can rejoice in being married. But one day that spouse will not be there. You can rejoice in money. But one day that money will probably be gone. 
probably sooner than later than with the way we're going. Don't rejoice in those things, right? One day, those things will be gone, and they will bring curses to you. They will be, bring pain. If those are the primary things you look to for your joy and your peace, primary, those things can become idols. Be careful with that, right? No, look to Christ. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Rejoice in the grace of God. Rejoice that you are a child of God, and nothing can ever take that away from you. Amen? My friends, this is our DNA. We have to be messengers. The Willard Naz, we have to be messengers. We have to go out from here. I'm not you. I can't go with you. I can't go to the people that you're involved in, that you work with, that you live with. But he does go with you. And he can speak through you. And he's already at work in their lives. He's going to call you to be a part of what he's doing. And I pray that you say yes. And I guarantee if you do, you'll experience him like you've never experienced him before. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that died for us so that our names could be written. Lord, you made the way. You are the truth. You are the life, Lord. Father, we love you. Lord, give us opportunities to share the gospel, this life-changing news that everyone has to respond. Don't let us be timid. Give us your spirit of boldness. Call us, Lord, to whatever you'd have us do and help us to respond with yes. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray.